Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello and welcome to the Women and Manufacturing Podcast. My name is Fran Brunel, and I'm the president of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, Inc., and I'm your host for today's show. So today, I am so delighted to have on the show Jamie Petro. Jamie is the head of business development at Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers. She comes to our organization with experience from both Alcoa and Foster Wheeler. Jamie is actually the first point of contact within my organization when potential manufacturing sellers come to us to determine an exit strategy and to understand the current value of their company. So Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Fran, for having me. We're delighted that you're here. So You deal with manufacturing business owners from all over the country who are seeking to exit their manufacturing businesses, most times because it's their, they're entering retirement. Some of them are accepted as our clients and some are not. Can you highlight for us what would make us reject a client? What's the difference between us saying yes or no to a potential client? What makes them sellable and what makes them not so much? Absolutely. That's a great question and one that we tend to answer on a daily basis. We look at a number of different things, but to a high level view, we are looking for people who are ready and organized to be able to exit their company. We want to see that the company is not solely dependent on that owner, that they have systems in place, not just for the owner's function, but for all the departments, that it would be easy for somebody new coming in to not only understand what they do, but why they do it well. So that would cover anything from standard operating procedures in each department, their financials being in order and organized. Also, you know, they need to be and almost always are knowledgeable about who, what industry they're selling to, you know, where there's further potential, what we love asking the question, what would you do if you had unlimited resources and would be staying with this company for years? We really want to see that we're transitioning, you know, to the next stage of growth for this company and not necessarily someone who's dwindling down and doesn't really want to close their doors, but really has not maintained something that, you know, can continue to grow. Those are some of the highlights that really help us to understand whether we can successfully market a company. So that's interesting. It's almost like the best thing a manufacturing business owner can do on the approach to retirement is to run the business like it's not for sale. Many of them kind of wind down Mm -hmm. and stop doing things proactively to build their company. And that makes it difficult to sell them. I'd like you to speak into a little bit. You talked about organization of documents. I think so many times people approach us and say, sell my manufacturing company And they come into that process with very little understanding of the types of documents and the types of information that they need to provide for us to be able to say, this is the current value of your company. Can you speak to some of, from a document perspective, 
what is required if they're entering the process of sale? Absolutely. The sale process is certainly not for the faint of heart, as we, <laughs> as we know, and is one, I also think it's important to understand it's not only what we require, but because of how well we work to vet our buyers, we're dealing with a sophisticated level of buyer. Um, you're dealing with finance companies or, you know, different investors that are very well educated you know, it's part of our job to really tell the story of our clients, but it's our client's job to really have their ducks in a row, if you will, with their financials. So what's important, you know, in the very beginning is to have anywhere from three to five years information kind of readily available to share. So that would be federal tax returns and then the supporting financials, your balance sheets, your income statement that support those tax returns so that we have a really good idea of the overall picture of your company. As we move throughout the process, people are gonna to wanna to see more detail. They're going to be interested in you know, your sales history, what industries that breaks down to. And that can be a little scary as we know, because oftentimes owners don't want to share who they're selling to. So we really try to make sure that we cover confidentiality at every range. We redact the important information that would damage our client while still making available the supporting information to show the success of a company throughout the years. So if you're giving, if you're showing sales by customer, you're not listing who the customers are. It's customer one, customer two. And what you're trying to show is whether or not there is a customer concentration that would be perceived as a risk. Absolutely. Um, so points that are that make a company valuable, we often say when a buyer is looking at a company could be a risk point. I think what allows our expertise to really shine through is although manufacturing is one term, there is a vast number of different types of businesses underneath that. So we understand how to navigate an issue like customer mm -hmm. concentration. There is a risk point if you were just going to check a box off a piece of paper, if you have any one customer that maybe has more than 20 or 30% of your sales. However, what we understand about manufacturing is depending on what you do, if you're doing large contract jobs and you're gaining new customers every year, what it looks like in you know 2017, you may have, if you have a contract manufacturer that does a large job, they may do five jobs that year, whereas the next year they're doing 20 and their customers change. So we know how to navigate and understand, is it a value point or is it a, is a, it risk, a risk point? So there's some of the sectors that our organization deals with it's really impossible to not have a customer concentration if you're doing anything of substance, like aerospace. Absolutely. So do we not take customers that have a customer concentration within that industry? That is an excellent question. We will look at, when I explain to someone, I say, we really look at two things. We're going to look at the numbers, mm -hmm. which everyone will, but most importantly, we look at their story and what all of those value or risk points look like within their own industry. Aerospace is an excellent example. There's only so many players in the game. You're most likely going to absolutely have customer concentration. Important 
points that tell us whether it's risk or value is the length of relationship with those customers. If you have a proprietary process or you're a sole source for what you're making for them, that changes the impact of what the customer concentration means. So it is, it's not always a yes or no box for each one of those. And we spend time, you know, the wonderful thing about what we do is, you know, nobody really knows more about a business than the president or the owner. So we spend time with you. It's not just data, although we do need to collect that. We really understand what manufacturers do and we take the time to understand the importance of what they're making and who they're making it for. That's funny because as you start talking about what is required as you enter the sale process and you start talking about, hey, so you're going to need three to five years of tax returns and financial statements, I can almost hear people's response to that manufacturers say, but my business is so much more than that. It's not just the numbers. And so we look at more than that. Can you speak into that a little bit? Absolutely. The numbers are purely important to show the history of a company. Part of our job with telling their story is to show the potential, the path forward, and the data is a supporting point to say why you can trust us in what we're telling you that this happens. You know, we can look at the metal cutting sector or quite simply, you could say a job shop or just companies that work with CNC machine. We could have five listings that all are CNC machines and they all do completely different things. So that is very important. It's also important because on the buyer side, you could hit every mark of what they're looking for. But if a buyer doesn't understand what the company is doing, it's going to limit their success. We know this. It's not just an investment. Manufacturing, regardless of how great technology is, is still a very hands-on business. And we're almost always dealing with founder-led companies. They expect someone who's going to be comfortable to roll up their sleeves and really you know, be a part of what's going on. And quite simply, they have to like each other. This is not just a numbers game. The transition owners need to be prepared to know that the process is not just paperwork. It's not just storytelling to understand the history of their business, the path they see forward. But there also has to be a relationship because there's going to be a transition time where current owners are going to have to spend time with an acquirer. And we've seen it happen. We're fortunate to often get multiple offers on our listings, that oftentimes the relationship that's built during this process is more impactful than just the financial outcome at the end. Yeah. And I would venture to say that respect for the legacy, you know, you're talking about the importance of the relationship between the buyer and seller during a transition time. But it's also after that, I find in speaking to manufacturing business owners around the country that one of the things, especially a founder-led company, one of the things that they're most concerned about is respect for their legacy, continuity of the company, but respect for the legacy. Absolutely. Company culture is very important in that We say founder-led, and quite simply, what we're talking about is a lot of our clients started their company, or maybe they took it over from their own family or purchased it small. There's always 
we have a particular client that has this great story of saying, you can see our company growth as you walk through, whether it's, you know, the age of things, or you see the additions that have grown through the building. And that also counts for the people, their employees. They're out working with their employees every day. They have established relationships. They care about what happens to them, how they're taken care of. Will they feel comfortable with the new owner? It's very rare that a founder-led company exits and then completely leaves the area and has no contact with the people in their company again. They've built their company, their family, their community is often very familiar and they want to make sure it's taken care of the way it should be. Well, you bring up a question that we're often asked from potential sellers, and that is, how long are they typically required to stay during transition? Absolutely. We usually want to prepare people that it could be a minimum of a few months, but really probably to plan more to be involved for about a year, probably no more than two years unless there is an agreement in place to consult or stay as part of the company. That's an important part of when we first talk to people, we don't launch into a story of what we can do for them. Usually our first question is, what would you like? What is your you know, ultimate idea? Why have you come to us today? Because it is not as simple as I want to sell my business. There's a lot of different ways that it can be done. There's a lot of goals that can be achieved. And so we take the time to really understand. Some people have families. They're going to stay in the area. They have grandchildren that they're going to spend time with. So they have options. We, we have some people that say, it's not that I want to stop working. I just don't want to get up early anymore. You know, right. we, we get the range. I want more time with the grandkids. Right. So I'll moment. stay with you. I'll help with the transition, mm-hmm. but I want to have a little bit more downtime. I want to de-stress a little bit. Absolutely. And I think what I hear you saying is, We can get our clients to almost anywhere they want to go in that regard, but we need to know what we're aiming for. Absolutely. Building trust and a level of transparency is very important. We can aim for just about anything with this. That's kind of the beauty of it is we have a lot of companies that the owners were very passionate. Maybe they have an engineering or a technical background. They developed the very items that made their company successful. But over the years, as we all know, you move out of the shop floor and you're behind a desk more often handling the high level administrative and leadership opportunities. And they get to a point in life where they want to go back and do the thing they're passionate about, mm-hmm. but they don't want to abandon. Yeah, we see that yeah. a lot, right? So as a as an organization grows, with growth comes more people, more problems, more challenges. And so founders often find themselves in positions of sales, business development, the head of HR, the And they don't want to be that. That's not the first love. You know, they want to go back to give me an engineering challenge. And sometimes in the exit strategy, we can get them back to what they love with a dramatically reduced schedule as well, which is awesome. Well, and there's, you know, when you get to entrepreneurs together, they're very excited. What I appreciate about manufacturing is... There's also a, you know, they're creators. 
Yep. They are makers. You know, that's such a buzzword right now with whether it's crafting or, you know, knowledge is at your fingertips. You really can learn to do just about anything right now with the resources we have online. And, and there's a resurgence regardless of age for active, you know, business owners to just get back to the things that they love. And there's a lot of opportunities to make that happen because the right buyer will not want to lose that knowledge and that passion from that original founder. And it takes time to share that. We know that there are times that that sometimes it, the relationship leads to consulting afterwards right. or, you know, a, a lot of different avenues. So yeah, we want to know what do you want? It's not always about what we're going to do for you. We want to know what we're what aiming for. What are we for. aiming for? Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit. I want to talk about some of the risk factors some of the things that would make us say no to a client. Sometimes we say no, but we say, listen, here's how the market today is going to see your business. And you need to work on this, this, and this over the course of, say, a two or three year period. Come do it successfully. Implement these things. Come back to us. And I guarantee we'll be able to sell you. So let's talk about some of the risk factors. Before you talked about, you know, not having appropriate documentation and things like that. But what are some of the other major factors that we look at? Absolutely. Financially, you need to make sure that quite simply, the numbers are positive. We understand the impact of taxes and accounting to lessen the impact of that. However, a lot of our relationships, like you said, start years in advance. A no is rarely a hard and fast no. It's, it's usually now's not the time. A great example is we often see owners who are not taking a salary. Their income is based on other areas, whether it's bonuses or dividends. And in the structure of creating value, that ends up being a risk point because we cannot show that as available cash flow mm -hmm. to someone new acquiring the business. So, you know, our blunt statement is take the hit on your income taxes for a couple of years. And remember that businesses are valued at a multiple and even on the, you know, a low end of, let's say, you know, a three multiple, every dollar you're adding, whether it's to your net income or even to a salary is going to be worth $3 on the end. In the same sense, quite simply, there should be no one task that only one person in your organization knows how to do. A lot of founders are very heavily involved in quoting. Have a backup, you know, and that's just smart business, whether you're selling or not. Make sure that you have a strong management team in place. A very simple way that we gauge this is we ask them, can you go on vacation and leave your company without your phone constantly ringing off the hook? And to really get a gauge as to will the company be able to operate without you? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, are you really the nucleus of all the areas that make it valuable? And those are things that take time. That that's one of the, share. you know, I think that's one of the biggest risk factors that both buyers and acquisition lenders look at. How dependent is this manufacturing company on this seller? And sellers don't, they don't always get it. They don't always understand the why of it. But if someone is paying you several million dollars for your business, and God forbid you have a heart attack two weeks after the closing, and the business was too dependent on you, the buyer and the acquisition lender are in danger. 
right? Definitely. Right now, you know, the culture of our country, everything that's going on in the world right now has absolutely shown a light on just things we don't have control over and that sometimes impacts that you just cannot be prepared for. So that's absolutely a, a very important point to understand that if you're coming to us at the very end where you you just have no energy or the business itself is starting to fail or unfortunately a health reason or some sort of emergency requires a sale, that may be difficult for us to help you. We work best with companies that are ready to go. You know, their information is ready to go. They are operating either at a very steady level or an increase. There's a lot of times that an owner sees a ramp up coming or is being asked by their own customers for additional work. And they can say to themselves, I love what I do, but I also know to be able to meet these needs, I, you know, we need to invest and we need to buy more equipment. And I'm at a stage in my life where I don't want to invest. I'm not ready to start this next phase. So maybe now is the time, you know, to look into this. And that's always an amazing story because the owners then get to be part of the transition and see the growth. And what a fulfilling, you know, moment to be able to kind of pass the reins along and see success. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to put a little plug in here for us, but it's so wonderful that we do still hear from uh, choirs that we have sold businesses to and they're successful and running. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's a single one that has failed that we've sold. And that's it's a point of pride for everyone involved in the process. Yeah. We've seen manufacturing companies that we've sold, for, I'm thinking of one in particular, for $2 million and exactly the situation where you're talking about where there was opportunity for a ramp up. Two years later, they were $10 million in revenue. So, yeah, I love that we stay in contact with the buyers, try to help them in any way we can. Very briefly, one other thing I want to cover is the importance of standard operating procedures documented. What does that tell a buyer? That allows a buyer to really understand what it is you do without having to interact too much with your staff on the very simple end. But more than anything, it shows that it removes risk from everything that you're doing. If you have a standard operating procedure in place, if something would happen, yes, there's going to be a learning curve to pick that back up, but there's no loss. And that's just very important. I mean, in manufacturing, you have lean, you have Six Sigma, you have all of these things that are wonderful. But even if you can't, you know, study into that level, having a well-documented procedure on how to do things will always hold value to anyone coming in and it'll smooth the process. You know, we work hard to make sure that the sale process can be as quick as possible, but it's really a relationship between us and our clients. The more organized and ready you are to be able to answer the questions that come, and they're not always going to be financial, but the better equipped you are to be able to provide and give feedback and more detail to the story that we present about your business, the smoother and the faster we get to yes or no with the types of buyers that we bring and really just the ease of transition. You know, if you have an instruction manual on how to do something, it's always going to make it easier. That's the point that I always try to make with potential clients. It's the ease of transition. And so buyers may be looking at, say you have two different 
you know, CNC precision component manufacturers, and they have the same revenue. They have similar net earnings. They have similar customer concentration. One has documented standard operating procedures and one does not. 10 out of 10 quality buyers going to do. They're going to go for the one that has the standard operating procedures because it tells them that transition of the company to new ownership is not going to be a pain in the ass. Right. Absolutely. And acquirers are not the only ones who are looking at that. I think sellers would, business owners would be surprised to know that financial institutions look into that as to whether they're going to underwrite a loan or not. They want to know how easy is this transition because it is managing risk and not having documents. And when we say documents, we don't necessarily always mean physical forms, but not knowing how everything runs and how it all works together is a huge risk point. And that's something that you can start working on at any point in time. Sure. You know, and to your point, you've written a lot of blogs about this. Having that in place, whether you're ready to sell or not, is going to make your business more successful. Yeah. So to start doing it, you will reap the benefits long before you sell. And it will, you know, it helps with HR functions, who you're hiring to improve the actual process of what you're doing on a daily basis, because you're going to capture information. And every buyer that comes in has a different plan for why they want to buy your business and and vision. And it really allows them to kind of plug in and understand how you've moved along and gotten to the successful point of where you are. We are almost running out of time. There's one more subject that if we could speak quickly into. So oftentimes clients will think when an offer comes in, a letter of intent, that that's they just hit easy street. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so sometimes people are simply not prepared for the due diligence process and the stamina needed to get through it. Speak into that a little bit if you can. Absolutely. It's probably the point in our process where emotional and mental fortitude for everyone involved is important. It's usually when I want to kind of, you know, through the phone, give our clients a hug. The due diligence process is quite simply exhausting, but so valuable. A letter of intent is basically a buyer saying from everything you've presented to me so far, I want to continue to move forward. But at that point, that's really when they're going to dig in and determine, am I going to spend millions of my dollars, right? right? And that's the point where we see what we call deal fatigue or even for our client, because you're going to be asked a lot of detailed information. And sometimes that information highlights the strengths of your company, and sometimes it can highlight where you need to grow. So it can be uncomfortable, but quite simply, it's an information gathering time that allows the buyer and the bank underwriter really to determine is this worth you know the is money it worth what we said right. and, and were we truthful in the information that both we and the seller provided they're vetting that information right? absolutely so it's important to be well organized to prepare yourself that if you're running your business full time it may be somewhat demanding of your time to have that information but we're with you every step of the way and it may be difficult but you're never going to be alone so we work through that, but we sure. always try to prepare people to eat their Wheaties before we get to that stage. <laughs> well, Jamie, it was an absolute delight to have you here. I hope our listeners learned a lot about the MA process for manufacturers. And before we close out, please tell us 
if people would like to learn more, how best they should reach you. Absolutely. Our conversations are not only to gain clients, but we love to share information and make them knowledgeable. You can certainly reach us at our website, which is acceleratedmfgbrokers.com. You can call us directly, 908-387-1000. That's 908 908- 387-1000. You can email us at any time. The easiest way would be info at acceleratedmfgbrokers.com or ask for me directly. I'd be happy to speak to you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jamie. You're welcome. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.